the nature of the self. There is, a, there is a reality even prior to heaven and earth. Indeed, it has no form, much less a name. Zen master Dayo Kokushi. There is a reality that has no form, much less a name. Beautiful and also true. We are nothing but the second by second manifestation of that reality. It's what we are, but we don't see it. Most of us, whether through religion or rationality, try to grasp the nature of reality directly. We try to fit reality into a framework we can understand, but you can't screw a little screw into a big hole. Nothing happens. And Ellen, didn't, wasn't there something in the quote that you used for your talk about um, a temporary name or was that from somewhere else? We temporarily yes, yes, name. It was, in, it was in that quote. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right. not, not, so when we name something, we don't make it anything. It just, I like that idea. Okay. I think uh, Chaya's next. Yeah. The, the paragraph that that third paragraph gets cut off. Oh, so we read we read one paragraph unless it's a short paragraph, child. Okay, can you scroll down just a tiny bit? Oh, never mind. It is on the next page. Okay, yeah. got you, got you. Okay. Well, wait, now I have to go back. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Wonder why. Uh, there we go. Okay, as I've described earlier. From the time we're very small, we begin to build up a belief about reality and about who we are. This is based on our experience of all that has happened to us, good, bad, or indifferent. The result of this belief might be called our individual personalities, our individual selves, our egos. Each one of us is different. Some of us might resemble each other more than others, but we are all different. Once I have my core beliefs solidly in place and a sense of a self, a pseudo self, that is. You're a little quiet, Cody, to me. Oh, and I can change my name, too. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Uh, built around it, then I can proceed as if I understand myself and my reality. I'm Joko. With, with all my little characteristics, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing so wrong in it. In daily life, our conventional selves often serve us well. But if I really think about, really think that's who I am, inevitably a split takes place. I divide myself in two because I have to one, I have to have one part of me constantly watching what I do, how I conduct myself what I think. I also have to split myself off from the rest of the world so I can keep a good eye on it. It's not to be trusted, you know. We learn to be a little suspicious about everything out there. Dr. Thomas Hora, founder of the discipline of meta-psychiatry, integrating metaphysics, spirituality, and psychology, said, all problems are psychological and all solutions are spiritual. 
Because we believe so fully in the idea of the self, we often think the problem of our unhappiness rests with ourselves. That's not all wrong. The amount of trauma you experienced as a child has a huge effect on you. And it's useful to do what, and it is useful to do what you can to understand and heal from trauma. But we don't necessarily transform as human beings just from understanding what happened to us in the past. Three lists. If we want to truly transform our life, to transform our ability to understand and experience our life, then we have to know ourself on all levels to get a sense of how yourself was created on the psychological level. I recommend everyone make three lists. The first list begins with this sentence. As a small child, I was trained to be. Then list everything that comes to mind. For example, I was trained to be perfect, which meant never showing anger, succeeding at everything, getting straight A's, and pleasing everybody. I was a quintessential good little girl. Everyone was trained to be one way or another. Y'all let me know if you think that would be a good writing prompt for our exercise later. And the second list begins, right now, as an adult, I require myself to be. How we were trained has a large effect on our ideas of how we should be now. So, for example, based on the training detailed in my first list, I might write down, I require myself to be loyal, thoughtful, kind, patient, selfless, and calm. In the second list, we notice how we've set up our life. One woman told me she's aware that she always sets up her life so other people will punish her. It's a deep conditioned decision from way, way back somewhere. Once you become aware of what you require yourself to be, you can watch yourself making decisions based on this idea as you march through life. There are lots and lots of kinds of decisions you make based on this idea of yourself. Here are a couple of styles these decisions can take. If I avoid everything, that will help. If I take charge and beat up the world when needed, that will work. If I just manage to fail at everything, that will work. There are thousands of such variations. So Ellen and I are in a group with Peg, and our assignment for this week was what what do vows mean to us? What does it mean to take a vow? And that's kind of like the middle one, isn't it, Ellen? Like the middle one. I require myself to be. Do you think that's a vow? No. I think I, a, a vow is, that's just, uh, I think a vow is a little more uh, serious intention than that. I, I think she's, I think she's saying, I think she's asking us to look at the things that we require ourselves to be now in reference to the things that we were taught as a child. So, so, so if I was taught to be quiet and not speak, maybe uh, children are to be seen and not heard, then now I might require myself to be diffident or, you know, not, not, not engage. I see. So these are more personality traits. I think so. Yeah. That's how I see it. No, uh, well, she says loyal, thoughtful, kind, patient, selfish, home. 
But you can require yourself to be something terrible. That's like if you true. have a core belief that says you're a bad person, you can require yourself to be a bad person. Mm -hmm. That sounds fun. Okay. <laughs> you're up, Kim. Or wait, who's next? It is, yeah. <laughs> okay. The third list gets very interesting. It's a list of the emotions hidden behind the second list. On my second list I have, I want to be loyal. Suppose I have a good friend who's sick in the hospital. It's <coughs> Saturday afternoon and I'm worn out, but still I think I should go see her. Not because I want to, but because my second list requirement is that I'm loyal. And I will go see her, but beneath the appropriate action, there may likely be resentment. I go to see her partly because I love her, but partly because that's what good people do. Our third list helps us see the mechanism of the self that we've set up and believe in. This is the self we live out of, our core way of seeing things. I know I do that a lot. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I've been programmed. Do any of you do that? Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's really important to see who we think we are, but that is the solution when you've seen it. You can see Mount Everest. Mount Everest just keeps sitting there. It doesn't do what I want it to do. It's the same way with all this knowledge we gathered about ourselves. It will just sit there waiting for us to notice and get curious rather than react. Nancy Lynch. Uh, quieting or reactivity, is there more than? Okay. Yes. Right? Yes. Oh, wait. Where is it? There we go. Our reactivity and judgment and all the suffering they cause us come from this idea of a separate self. I'm frightened for that separate self. I'm worried about it. I'm elated when things go well for it. I've set out all sorts of claims in its name. I think I have to have certain things for it. To some degree, we all think like this, but how much do we see through that? And in doing so, let it wither. Creating a list of the feelings behind who we think we are helps us to see what we feel when we act out of some rigid sense of self. It helps me experience the bodily tension of rigid, rigidly held emotion without the overlying thought of how I should be. I used to get incredibly angry and act out. When something would set off my anger, boom, it exploded. I wasn't always exploding, but the anger was there all the time. Slowly, I learned to notice when anger arose before I acted on it. Often, our problem isn't what other people do. Our problem is when someone violates our second list requirement. Oh, sorry. I, I, got, I got trapped up in the text and clicked on something. Um, I'll just open it to paragraph, sorry. Um, our problem is when someone violates our second list requirement, showing what's underneath and exposing us to the unpleasant emotions of the third list. Again, this doesn't mean you respond, you still act, 
But when you really see your thoughts and experience your anger, you can act with much with more clarity and without as much anger, maybe none. How does practice create transformation? I experience my anger now without suppressing it or acting on it. Perhaps you experience your fear instead of running around it or rationalizing it. You stay with it and begin to do things that frighten you, not to be virtuous, but so you are now able to directly feel the body, sensation we call fear. And because doing the thing that frightens you is what needs to be done. It's very useful to do things you don't want to do. Make that phone call you don't want to make or whatever it is for you. The missing step. <clears throat> with unfailing kindness, your life always presents what you need to learn. Whether you stay home, work in an office or whatever, the next teacher is going to pop up pop right up. I spoke recently with a student who doesn't like it when his wife tells him what to do. It isn't necessarily that he minds doing it, but he doesn't want his wife to tell him what to do. We all have situations like this, and very few of us like being told what to do. Our first thought is usually, I don't like it. Our second thought is often to want some solution. Then we have another I thought that discusses the first thought. Nothing gets solved. We just get increasingly tight, tense. What have we done? There's a step we've missed. That missing step is to experience how we are feeling as we have that first thought. Get curious, notice. We miss this step hundreds of times a day and missing that step over and over is like never contacting the earth with our feet. When we think without truly experiencing, we're trying to live three feet off the ground. Our life lacks solidity and firmness. Resistance and persistence. If we don't do our sitting and our, and our life with some attention, it's easy to lose the ground. It's easy to resist paying attention, to resist experiencing, because feeling things is a lot. It can, be, it can be painful. For many of us, life itself can be increasingly painful. And sitting, actually experiencing things, slowly gives us space to feel and ease that pain. This gives us that motivation. Finding that missing step is a case of is a case of being patient and persistent. We resist feeling that pain because experiencing it is not easy. The act of seeing the resistance is part of the work we do, which allows us to have contact with our unwillingness. The more contact we have with our unwillingness, the more the transformation to willingness begins to occur. It's just a matter of being persistent of being willing to experience our unwillingness a greater and greater percentage of the time. We can't make ourselves willing, but contact with our unwillingness gradually transforms it into willingness. I'm a little confused. What's this willingness? To uh, feel. Willingness to look at what we're doing? And to know to feel what you're doing in your body. Perception. Right? 
Is that being in the moment, I think. Yeah. I mean, to me, that that willingness or unwillingness is anything that, you know, whether that is feeling whatever pain we're in, or, I mean, I think that, you know, she talks so much about just generally, like, it is useful to do things you don't want to do. And whether that's feeling emotions or making a difficult phone call, I think the the willingness connects to both of those. We get to know many things if we persist. Over time, people who are patient and who sit, for <coughs> whatever reason they decide to sit, find that their resistance begins to break at some point. We have to be diligent. Now, I don't mean that we sit and think about our practice all day. That would be silly. We learn to watch for the signals, the daggers. The daggers are the thoughts of what we don't like what's wrong with people, our hurt feelings, our judgments, and all the thoughts that keep us oops, defending ourselves. Our personality, our ego says, defend yourself against those daggers at all costs. Have lots of thoughts. The only step that counts, the one that puts you down back on earth is feeling. After that first thought, just feel the pain of that dagger going in. Really feel it. Then something happens. So our life consists with the missing step. There isn't anyone here, including myself, who doesn't miss that step. I don't miss it as often, but by any means as I used to. The progress of practice is to notice more quickly when we miss the step. The tremendous knowledge we get from sitting with ourselves enable us to notice much more quickly when we miss a step. And through sitting, we develop the willingness to do that. Our belief in our thinking, in our separate self, gets weaker and weaker. You can see the difference in a person who sits regularly over a long period of time and uses that time to notice and experience their lives. You can't even say exactly how they different, but you notice it on the set. Would y'all like to um, would y'all like to pause here and explore those three writing prompts? I think that sounds good. Kim, you think seven thirty-five? You think this is a good place to stop and do a little bit of writing? I mean, I think you might be muted. No, I'm just quiet. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about others of you? Any opinions? Well, Glenn, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest that we go back to page uh, fifty. Okay. And, and look at those three prompts. How, what was, what was your childhood conditioning? And, and maybe that's probably the one to, that's gonna be a tough one. And then, um, you know, what, what, what are some of the conditions that we've set up in our life that responding to that or through choices we've made? And then um, 
third one's a little bit more subtle. I think we're being asked to talk about the feelings that are underneath some of those choices. Right? How do I feel about having to boss everybody around? Yeah. So you could. How do I you, feel you about could, blah, blah, blah? You could rent it. It would be like someone had had programmed you. And then how do you feel about being programmed like that? Yeah. 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 Or, or is my coping strategy? How do I really feel about these strategies? And, and what's the real, what's the real energy behind them? So that's close enough. We'll, we'll check in at, uh, um, maybe what do you think? Um, 745? 747. 747? 10 minutes. Well, let's do let's do an extra. Let's just check in at eight. I think this is a long prompt. Is that all right? Okay. Be nice. Is that all right with everyone? 23 minutes? That's sure. much too long, I think. Oh, oh okay. 23 minutes. Well, you said eight. Yeah, I did. How about yeah? Seven fifty? Seven fifty? Seven fifty sounds great. Okay. That good, Ellen? Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Seven fifty. Okay. Thank you all. So you can mute. I'm or, muting all now. Okay. Thank you, Glenn. Anybody want to want to um? Anybody want to share? I'll, I'll share mine first. Okay, <clears throat> I wrote. As a small child, I was trained to be respectful, loving, caring. I was the oldest grandchild, so a lot of people depended on me. It was impossible to say no due to the fear of letting people down. It also resulted in bottling up my feelings. I didn't really talk to anybody about what was going on in my head. I didn't necessarily think I was trained to be that way, but the way I was actually trained pretty much led to that. It was cause and effect. Fast forward to now, I'm just realizing how damaging that was making myself available to everyone and not being able to say no, that took a toll on me. <clears throat> it put me in at a point where in my mind, I couldn't express myself. It's to the point where saying no now is liberating. And that's it. Kim, you're muted. <laughs> Find it liberating too. I said yeah. no to I said no today. <laughs> Maybe more than once. But then I said no and Linda said that's too argumentative. I wrote something and it was like no. And so then she wrote rewrote it in such a beautiful, skillful way. It was really nice. So there's so many different ways of saying no, aren't there? Like, you know what, what yeah. a, keto, a keto is, where you move, you like use the person's force and move in that direction. That's how what she did. Mine was like, right. just like putting up a wall. It's okay. a great, great teaching. Now I have to decide, do I admit that she, so then she wrote this statement and I, I presented it. But do I admit that it was hers or do I take credit for it? That's my current dilemma. 
Ellen's giving me an opinion. Muted. Uh, I can relate, Cody, to the joy of a real firm no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Ellen, when you've had enough, right? You're good at that. Oh, well, because when I've had enough, I am so done. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not so good at that. So I was at a uh, Zoom funeral right before this. And it was really nice how he handled it. The guy, uh, the Glenn person, just called on one person at, after another, and everyone spoke. Oh, nice. And then, Alan, I would... and then he went over it again, and he said, is there anything more you want to say? Which was a surprise, because I never expected that. But go on, Nancy. Ellen, I would like to sign up for lessons on how to say no the way you just did that made you so happy. <laughs> um, I had some thoughts about this. Um, Ever the troublemaker, I thought there should be another category added to this. And it's kind of like if you've ever heard Paul McCartney talk about how he has a public persona and he's always perfect, always polite and says the right thing. And then he gets off camera and he becomes the real Paul McCartney and he says what he wants to. Maybe he just says, no, Ellen. <laughs> but I thought there should be another category. Uh, who are you that you have to be in order to get along with all the other adults? And I think for me anyway, because I've been a person that's at home, not working during the pandemic, it's, I call it the pandemic pause. It's been a wonderful opportunity to explore how you really think and how you really feel and what you really want. And, and I guess how to say no or yes to a lot of different things. So I think there should be another category here. And I, that part about the daggers, one of the things that has kept hitting me over and over again was how angry I used to be. <laughs> My first reaction was always anger. And now I can say, oh, I, I might have been angry at that before, but I'm not now. And it's sure nice to be on this side of things. Well, I put down uh, on my list the first, as a small child, I was trained to be a good girl. And, uh, and then right now as an adult, I require myself to be responsible, on time, cooperative, dependable, etc. cetera. And, um, and then the next thing was what emotions uh, are behind that? Well, if I'm not any of those things, it causes a great deal of anxiety. <laughs> you know, I mean, like uh, being late drives me totally nuts. I mean, I'm, I'm generally pretty uh, accepting of other people being late if it doesn't happen too often. <laughs> but, uh, but if I'm late, I, I mean, it just, I have a real hard time with it. And, uh, and so those kinds of things, if I feel I've not been responsible, I've not been dependable, you know, it kind of hurts. You know, how about, when you, how about when you forget to go to something? Because you've done that a lot. 
I have done that a lot. How do you feel about that? Must be getting better. Well, it does cause a little more. I got must be getting better because it's simply lately, like forgetting to come last time to this. And I've forgotten to come to the, uh, to our, uh, council meeting a couple of times too. Uh, I just regret it. I, I, so I must be getting better. Yeah. There's nothing healthy about that. Yeah. I must be getting better because I just, I just feel regret that, Oh, I really wanted to do that. And I forgot, but I would say things like if I, if I, I manage my money very well, usually, but if some snafu happens, that kind of thing drives me nuts. Being late drives me nuts. <coughs> Those kinds of things. You know, Ellen, um, I I can uh, agree with that like 100% because being in the military, uh, there's a saying, if you're late, I mean, if you're on time, you're late. So um, it was like <laughs> always, it was always, always 15 minutes prior, you know, for everything. And now I kind of, I still kind of have that uh, with me. And, and, and so like, if, if I have to be somewhere for three 30, I'll leave my house at maybe like three, you know, just to get there, maybe like 15 minutes prior. And if I leave any time after that, you know, I, I'll be kind of, I have that anxious feeling in my in, in, inside, like, man, I'll be late. And, 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 and the funny thing is about, a funny thing about it is I don't have to rush anymore. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy, but I still have that, that mindset. Like I got, I got to be there and buy a certain amount, such, such time. And sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, you know, just calm down. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so it's, 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 I understand that like being on time, uh, And not having enough time, that drives me nuts, too. Feeling like I'm rushed for time. Oh, yeah, that, that too. Yeah. It's going to be interesting when we go back to the Zendo about, you know, we usually think of Zen time as being five minutes early, and, and Zoom time seems to be right on time. Yeah. And how, whether we're going to be able to adapt. Well, I, I can uh, read what I wrote. I didn't do a drawing. Sorry. <laughs> As a small child, my mother worried about me. Would I turn out all right? What was wrong with me? I wasn't trained, but just watched. I was trained to hate and resist training. I was a mess, but I loved numbers and dissecting mechanical things. I set up my life to train myself to be successful. This is number two. It didn't really work like it did for some. I didn't know anything. I didn't. I didn't understand my teachers, though it is starting to sink in. I just wanted my parents to think I was okay. Maybe my disappointment that it was impossible kept me going. But there is resentment that no matter how hard I try, I don't get to where I'd like to be. But I also felt gratitude about that, too. Like it wouldn't be so interesting. You know, but I sometimes I feel like I'm the uh, greyhound chasing after the rabbit or whatever. 
Anyone else feel like that? You mean like, and you can't ever get it? You can't ever get it, right. You can taste it, but you can't. And it's not even a real rabbit. That's really like, yeah, that's really like the heart of it. You're chasing after something that's not even real. Right. That's right. Oh, it isn't real? No, they're not real on those Greyhound races. And it's and it's oh so close, but, but so far, like you know, you never catch it. Yeah, the, the greyhounds never catch it. And then you retire. <laughs> There's a lot of retired greyhounds in our neighborhood. Well, not a lot, but a couple of them. I, I think that's what a a lot of what the Buddha meant by, uh, you know, the term shouldn't be suffering more like dis-ease, unease, like never being able to rest in this moment and feeling like you got to have that, you got to move on to that next thing. You're not quite satisfied or you're not quite there. And the whole life can slip away. I um, I was interested in um, Nancy Lynch's um, in Nancy Lynch's interpretation because I, I I didn't even get much written down because I went so far down one of the rabbit holes. Um, you know the way the question is set up. I think it's intended to think about your parents, but I also Nancy really started thinking about how much your peers, even when you're five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, are are part of those programmers. And then I spent you know most of my writing time trying to sort about which of my which of my uh, program traits were parental and which ones were, were societal. And there we went. And that's about as far as I got, but it wasn't just a parental thing for me. And, and how much energy the emotion maybe is regret, like how much energy I've spent, how many decades did I spend holding up constructs, which were for the benefit of others. Yeah. How many of my traits, how many of my traits are really not for me at all, but for, for, for a construct, you know, to, to, to please the society or avoid harm or seek pleasure or whatever that those things have got to be exhausting to have held up for all those decades. So might be time to give my psychic arms a little rest and put some of that stuff down. I, I keep saying the pandemic, as horrific as it's been, yeah. it's been a blessing in many ways. And one of the first things I did was when they told me I had to go home and sit down, put my feet up and not leave, I said, thank God. Because <laughs> yeah. I could, I like this um, metaphor about the greyhound. Yeah. I could stop being a greyhound. And I've heard that so many times from people. I highly recommend it. <laughs> I highly recommend not being a greyhound, right? Correct. Yeah. Peg was talking, maybe Ellen was there the other day, maybe about how much energy we waste in this futile kind of chasing. She didn't use the word chasing, but just how peaceful it can be when you're not doing that. I want to work on being one of those hillbilly hound dogs that just hangs out on the front porch, you know, the kind with the baggy, like, oh, yeah. My next step. Yeah, there was an old dog at the Chan Temple I went to, and whenever anyone would come onto the property, 
it would it would bark maybe once <laughs> and finally it passed away and it was so sad you know because it's so nice to have these kind of punctuations in your sitting like something happens like the garbage truck on friday at apamata and then when you don't hear it something's really wrong and there was a, a void i don't know it just hit me Shaya, how about you? Um, so I wrote like a lot of adjectives, like probably way too many adjectives. Um, also, okay, so I don't usually notice or care, but um, you can call me Chaya if you want to, but my mom pronounced it Kaya. Oh, Kaya, so, okay. But everybody says it differently. And like, I like that part in the in the book about things being a temporary name or somebody said something about it, things being a temporary name. Cause I use different uh, pseudonyms sometimes for my writing and stuff. But, uh, but yeah, my mom calls me Kaya if y'all oh, want to stay right. It doesn't really matter though. Um, okay. So I wrote as a small child, I was trained to be helpful, guilty, good, perfect, self-deprecating, sad, undeserving, lonely. Cause I was homeschooled. Uh, validity seeking, accepting, and rebellious. And then right now as an adult, I require myself to be, and this is way too many adjectives, <laughs> helpful, generous, diligent, humble, patient, loving, deserving, mindful, strong, self-validating, loyal, happy, grateful, aware, present, kind, generous, accepting, creative, thoughtful, Good mother, because I have two kids, um, a good teacher, because I'm an art teacher, and assertive. And then for the third list, it says, sometimes I feel angry at the thought of being taken advantage of or even hateful and resentful. And like, that's the kind of idea of saying no, which is where the assertiveness comes in, saying no, because that's been a learned skill for me as well. Um, sometimes I feel used. Sometimes I feel lonely in spite of efforts not to. Sometimes I feel prideful. Sometimes I feel lazy or like a loser. Sometimes I feel indignant at the thought that I have to be strong for everyone in my life and also have to be strong for myself. Sometimes I feel elated and loving. Sometimes I feel powerful. Sometimes I feel extremely happy. Sometimes I feel not good enough when I fall short. Wow. Just like a lot of adjectives. <laughs> no, I took the list thing seriously. <laughs> How about inside Nancy? <laughs> I, I also have a quite long list, <laughs> like Kaya. <laughs> so as a, a small child, I would. I was trained to be a good child, obey uh, adults, respect adults, study hard, play less, have out at home, be honest, loyal, keep promises, be passionate, talk less, do more, always accept what adults say. Uh, and right now as an adult, I require myself to be compassionate, listenable, loyal, gentle, helpful, diligent, organized, 
but the toast list is I actually um I cannot come up with anything right now because it depends on the situation. So yeah. I yeah, I don't have anything for toast list for now. For the third for the third question, is that what you're saying, Nancy? You don't Yeah, for the third one. Oh the emotion. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, uh, the emotion behind the second list. But I can relate myself to what you said, um, Ellen. Um, I'm a, I'm much better now. Before, um, I'm really punctual. So, if you make an um, a, if you want to have a date with me, you need to be on time. Or actually, I could say like <laughs> Cody said, need to be early because on time is late. Uh, <laughs> relationship. I cut a friendship because she was totally forgot the, uh, the date and also like um, so at first she was late and second time she forgot she did not come so I got the pressure <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> 10 years later I met <laughs> maybe maybe there was something for you to learn from her yeah maybe sounds like she did learn from her oh yeah. <laughs> wow you're in a situation where you need to be so responsible, aren't you? Now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I taught math at UNT before, um, I stopped being that harsh. I just require myself to be uh, on time or actually early, but I don't require others to be like that anymore. More acceptable. <laughs> So Donna, how are you doing? Oh, you are muted. Um, I am fine. I did a list too, though. Um, I'm just blown away at every at the other list. They're so long. Um, the when I was thinking about as a small child, I guess it was because it was so long ago. Um, that I really could only think that I was trained to be good, polite, and quiet. Um, Though, you know, again, that's, you know, sort of, uh, you know, five and five down. I didn't make it into later elementary school, um, or I might have added a few other things. But, um, and right now, as an adult, I require myself to be uh, productive, that would be at work, thoughtful, organized, uh, disciplined, and I loved responsible on Ellen's list. You know, it's like, I I think I really do try to be responsible, but I didn't think of that one. Um, And the emotions hidden in that second list um, are sort of a, a cloud of regret, disappointment, and occasional anger uh, when I can't be as productive and especially disciplined as I would like. Um, Also, there's distress when um, uh, I misunderstand um, what, you know, in in trying to be thoughtful, um, you know, there's a misunderstanding of what would actually be appropriate um, you know, how to be truly helpful. 
Um, so that's as far as I got on my list. But um, I, I, you know, it really was kind of surprising that, you know, the um, I'm a long way away from childhood now, and there's not. Um, I was surprised. It was really like looking at somebody else's life at this point, which is a little surprising. <laughs> you were surprised at how you were different or the same? Um, well, just, just, I guess, really different. You know, I think that's one of the things that suddenly I started noticing when I was in my 60s that, um, you know, most for most of my life, you know, I've always been me. Um, but there's something about when those those years start stacking up that suddenly, hmm, you know, the I have changed. <laughs> so something y'all, you younger folk have to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> and Allison? This is an interesting exercise, definitely. Um, it's very, I, I, I'm glad that, Ellen brought up punctual. Um, I I have like, I also have deep punctuality issues. I got them from marching band though, because my marching band director, <laughs> no, my marching band director like had been in the military and he's a, he was a, if you're on time, you're late kind of guy. Um, and it was like, you would like be doing push-ups if you were on time, like push-ups, running laps. Uh, so this instilled within me a great fear of being punctual. And then like, I have, I like, I have these two things like at war inside me because my mom is just a person who's like, they'll wait, whatever, punctuality doesn't matter. Um, but then I could observe other people being very annoyed by our lack of punctuality. And I was, I, you know, so I took that very seriously as a child. So it just like came at me from both ends. Um, it's pretty funny. Um, and just, it was, it was an interesting thing, just sort of like noticing, um, um, I also had the, the, the realization that like, I was trained to be like, not just like overtly by my parents, but also by society. Um, and also like trained to be like implicitly, um, like no one trained me to like be a hyper independent, hyper organized person, but that was something I trained myself to be like in response to what was going around me, which, you know, that I'm also a person who does not say no. Um, but then like, there's always like, I always see all this like resentment and anxiety, like come out in the emotions like, of just like, oh my God, why do I have to keep track of everyone's calendar and no one keeps track of mine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Glenn, Glenn. Yes, sir. More you want to say? No, 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 thanks. I'm, I'm still, uh, still unpacking the difference between who what 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 was parental and then what was societal a little bit that i i just that hooked me and now i'm really i'm the hourglass is spinning on that one um make, oh. go nancy yes but i make an observation and i have to ask first can you throw rotten vegetables on zoom Absolutely. because i don't think oh no it seemed like all of your answers, and I'm sorry, Kaya and Nancy, I couldn't hear all of yours uh, or remember them. 
but it seemed like all of your answers were very corporate, for lack of a better word. You want to be punctual and obedient and compliant and everything. But I didn't hear anyone mention loving or nurturing or my big one, honest. People, people did. Cody did, did for sure. That. Yeah, Cody did. Thank you. Cody said loving. Okay. Yeah, I think Nancy Nancy said uh, honest too, I believe. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. And Cody's okay. got a lot of that in him. We used to see him. We haven't seen you with your kids lately. Well, it's more in the morning when we would see you with your boys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I have a boy and a girl. Uh, a boy and a girl. Yeah, they would yeah, come they and are. hug him in the middle of Zazen. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> My son, my son actually walked in uh, be right before uh, I was let into the, you know, to the Zoom. He he walked in and gave me a hug. He was like, "I hope you have a good meeting." Uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I I've been working out at like for, at sit from like six to seven in the morning for, for an hour down the road. So man, I I be missing Zazen. You know, sometimes I'll <laughs> pop in. Huh? We've been missing you. I know, I know, but I try to go to all the, you know, other offerings, but. Right. Y'all want to, um, y'all want to pause here for next week? Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. What an amazing way to spend a Monday evening. Yeah. I'm, um, okay. Yeah, so I wanted to this announce, um, our next book is what's it called, Ellen? Oh, it's by Category Roshi. It's upstairs. I can't oh. remember what it's called. Oh, energy has, of Zazen or energy of Zen or something. Yes, like and that. and Peg has promised to come. <gasps> All right. So nice. when when we finish this book, she's really eager about it, and Ellen used it for her discussion that she led that you can find on YouTube. If you go to Apamata Zen. <coughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I'm so we look forward to that. Yeah, that would be great. That is awesome. Definitely. It's great news. Bye. Okay. Y'all take care. See y'all. See you. Thank you for coming. You're welcome.